Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans' issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, November the 8th, 2021. This is Air Force veteran David Corey along with Richard Hurley. We have lots of uh, news and information of interest to veterans and their families this evening, so we hope you'll stay tuned. First, though, let's go over to Richard Hurley. Hello, Richard. How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well there, David. And how are you doing? Hope everybody out there in Radio Land is uh, doing well as, as well. Uh, I want to remind everybody... This is a call-in show. We want your views, your your comments, and your questions. So if there's anything, any hot topic that's on your mind, please give us a call at one triple eight six two seven six zero zero eight. Again, that number is one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. This is the Veterans News Hours. This is your show. We're just the messengers. So give us a give us a ring and, and let us know what's going on in your world. Uh, you might be dealing with the VA, you might be dealing with the Board of Veterans Appeal, Appeals, but uh, give us a call. We've got some great uh, uh, audio tapes tonight. You might want to comment on one of those as well. So without further delay, I'm going to send it back to David to introduce our first tape. Thanks, David. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, we have several segments tonight. The first segment of our show has uh, four brief uh, two- to three-minute um, audio tapes, courtesy of the United States Department of Veteran Affairs. Each of these uh, tapes touch on some current relevant topics for veterans and their families. Uh, these tapes are going to touch on topics uh, such as uh, managing substance abuse, uh, the vast range of uh, PTSD resources in the VA, and also uh, a, a, a tape on a topic uh, that tragically affects uh, many older veterans, and that is lung cancer, uh, with information about lung cancer screening, who should get the screening, what it involves, we also have um, two tapes from the VA's excellent program called Make a Connection, which is basically making a connection between veterans and uh, how they were dealing with issues, often issues arising from leaving active duty, uh, returning to the civilian life, the civilian world, uh, issues, problems that they faced in that transition, uh, often stemming from uh, post-traumatic stress and other things. So uh, we'll have those tapes for you in uh, in just a, a moment. Uh, before then, uh, though, Rick, uh, I know you and I were talking earlier about a topic that we're going to talk further about on the show after we have the the, te- uh, the tapes, and that is um, a big problem affecting the VA and uh, the Board of Veteran Appeals, and that is their, their their mail handling system. Apparently, they contracted out at some point. And I got a sense from an email I got from the VA that the contract may have been even bigger than just the VA within the federal government, that it was that it was uh, done that might affect some other federal government agencies as well. But we know from representing veterans that definitely affects uh, the VA and within the VA, the Board of Veteran Appeals, mail <clears throat> is um, often arriving, <clears throat> you know, as much as six weeks or even later after the letter has been dated, and most of their envelopes, probably 95 to 99 percent of the VA envelopes, are not postmarked. They come with a with a pre-stamped government postage 
label that does not have the date of dispatch. It just says basically that it's official government mail. Only in a very small percentage of mail uh, do the VA use use uh, envelopes that are postmarked. Uh, for instance, occasionally I will get um, a computer disk that I have to sign for. They're sending a return receipt. They want to be able to prove I received the disk with uh, with the claims file, for instance. But the vast majority of other cases are in these un uh, these envelopes that are not postmarked. We have no idea when they were actually dispatched into the U.S. mail system, but they're arriving many weeks or six weeks or even more after. Rick, I know you've experienced this problem, and you've seen it in some of your cases involving the, the Board of Veteran Appeals. Um, what would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, and, and it's and it's a serious problem, David, uh, because we're talking about scheduling. And I'll just give you, for instance, uh, a veteran had, had a hearing that we were trying to get postponed from, from last week. Uh, he wasn't available. He was in the hospital in Atlanta. And uh, I sent two or three uh, faxes to the, the Board of Veteran Appeals. I sent emails to the board. No one ever got back to me. Uh, you know, I even sent today looking for looking for some sort of, uh, you know, thoughts on it. Uh, fortunately, I'm going to be in front of the board tomorrow, so I'm going to be able to raise it. I'll have the coordinator, and I can actually talk to the person. Yeah, but until, until you get to that person to talk to, uh, you're just pulling your hair out. And uh, we'll talk about more about this later, so I'll keep everyone kind of on the edge of their seats about this topic, because it is a hot topic, and everyone should be tuning in. David, back to you, and let's uh, let's do the okay. video tapes. Well, thanks, Richard. Yeah, we'll return to that topic. Uh, let's go to the four um, tapes we have courtesy of the United States Department of Veteran Affairs. The first one is VA Weekly News from the VA's Health Administration. So, Doug, if you roll, roll the first tape, please. Managing substance abuse during the pandemic, PTSD resources, and artificial intelligence aids colonoscopies. I'm Army veteran Maria Godwin, and that's all coming up next on VA News. With physical distancing and other changes resulting from the pandemic, some may find they are using alcohol or drugs to relieve their negative emotions and stress or experience increased urges to use. Here are some things you can do to increase your ability to cope. Make a point of doing enjoyable activities that are still available to you, such as listening to music, reading books, and taking walks. Maintain social connections with supportive friends and virtual recovery communities. Identify behaviors that interfere with sleep and improve your sleep quality. Stay focused on maintaining a healthy diet and taking medications as prescribed. For more ideas or to learn more, visit mentalhealth.va.gov. There are several effective options to treat PTSD, and there is no one-size-fits-all approach. Knowing the different options allows a veteran to choose a treatment that best fits them. One of the easiest methods veterans can use to find options is the PTSD Decision Aid. If PTSD symptoms are affecting your daily life, you don't have to live with them forever. There are a number of treatments that have been tested and proven to work, but how do you decide which one is best for you? This Decision Aid will give you the information you need to make that choice, or it'll get you well on your way. You can work through it step by step or go straight to the topics that interest you. You'll be able to explore your options, hear answers to common questions, and make a plan for yourself. At the end, you'll get a personalized summary that includes information about your symptoms, your treatment preferences, and any questions you have. 
Share it with your provider so you can take an active role in choosing the treatment that's right for you. Examples of treatments include one-to-one mental health assessments, medications, groups for veterans of specific conflicts or who experience specific traumas, groups targeting specific concerns like anger or stress management, vet centers, mobile apps, and more. To locate the PTSD Decision Aid, visit ptsd.va.gov. One VA Medical Center has become the first hospital in the U.S. to purchase and incorporate the GI Genius Intelligent Endoscopy Module into colorectal screenings for veterans. GI Genius is currently the only FDA-approved computer-aided detection system available on the commercial market, and it is easily integrated with existing colonoscopy platforms. When detected early, doctors can perform curative treatments on any precancerous lesions. The goal is to locate any lumps or bumps in the colon that could grow into cancer. To learn more, visit blogs.va.gov and search artificial intelligence. That's it for this episode of VA News. I'm Maria Godwin. Thanks for watching. Well, thanks to the VA for that. And just um, to reinforce uh, the point about PTSD resources, uh, the VA is doing a, a tremendous amount of good work in that area. Uh, as she said, uh, it's not one size fits all, so don't get discouraged if one approach isn't isn't uh, the total solution. But a great resource is the website ptsd.va.gov. That's ptsd.va.gov. And this next tape, it's also from the VA's Health Administration. It deals with a topic affecting many older veterans, and that is lung cancer. So, Doug, if you'll please roll the second tape. When it comes to lung cancer, there are some sobering facts veterans need to know. Fact, lung cancer is more common among veterans than the general population. Fact, lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths in the nation, causing the deaths of 130,000 people a year. But as alarming as these facts are, the good news is that lung cancer is preventable. Quitting smoking is the first step, And while the benefits of quitting are undeniable, it's also a fact that your risk of developing lung cancer remains for some time after you quit. That's why, if you qualify, getting screened to detect lung cancer early, when it's very treatable, is also important. So, what is lung cancer screening? And who should consider getting screened? Screening involves getting a specialized computed X-ray, or CT scan, that detects very early forms of cancer. Called a low-dose computerized tomography, or LDCT scan, it's designed to use the lowest possible dose of radiation to detect growths, or what we sometimes call lung nodules. Studies have shown that by getting an LDCT scan every year, a significant number of the deaths from lung cancer can be prevented. So how do you know if you qualify to be screened? Well, smoking is the biggest risk factor for developing lung cancer, but the risk falls after quitting. So those most at risk are people who currently smoke or those who've quit within the past 15 years. Pack years also plays a role. A pack year is an estimate of how many cigarettes you've smoked in your life. A pack year is the number of packs you smoked per day on average 
multiplied by the number of years you've smoked. So 20 pack years is one pack a day for 20 years, or two packs a day for 10 years. And you should consider getting screened if you've smoked for at least 20 pack years. You should also be old enough to be at risk of lung cancer, but young enough to respond well to tests and treatments, which means age 50 to 80. So if you meet these criteria, you should think about getting a yearly low-dose CAT scan. It's also a fact that the VA has great lung cancer screening resources for you to take advantage of. Begin by talking to your VA primary doctor about your lung cancer risk. Thanks to the VA for that um, insight about a very important health topic affecting many older veterans uh, is lung cancer. And this next tape from the VA's Make a Connection program, a Marine veteran talks about how his family accepted how he had changed after his deployment overseas, and how they supported him when he reached out for help with his challenges. His father, also a Marine, knew what he was going through. The Marine encouraged his dad to get help as well. Together, they are taking steps to improve their lives, and their relationship is getting stronger. So, Doug, if you'll please roll the third tape. Family was very understanding. My dad, being a former Marine, he's been there, done that. My wife was extremely understanding. She served in the Navy, same time period as I did. So, we met after I had already came back. You know, I, I confess to her all my fears, all my nightmares, everything that I've ever done. And I, I let the cards fall where they may. Either she was going to like me or she wasn't. You know, my mom was extremely set back by it. You know, her biggest thing is like, well, where's the teddy bear that I had when you were growing up? And now you're this mean, constantly edgy, angry person. And I'm like, I'm still the same person. I just don't know how to act. You know, you're trained to do something and it gets so ingrained into being, you've got to be lifeless to do your job. You got to put all, everything aside to make sure that your brothers and sisters come home. So when you come back, the transition to being, you know, a soldier, a Marine, a fighting force, the transition back to, okay, now I've got to take care of my wife, my kids. You know, you're out trying to raise a daughter, you know, be a loving husband. You know, I had a very troubled childhood. My dad was never diagnosed. He had the same problems, same issues as I did. It took me coming back from Iraq being the same way he was when I was growing up. And I looked at him and I said, if I'm man enough to get help, so are you. So 35 years later, he goes to the VA and ends up diagnosed with PTSD and has had it his entire life. So I guess through my figuring out who I am and rehabilitating, it has helped other people like my father. When your dad looks at you and he goes, you know what? I'm really sorry for your childhood. I wish I'd known about this then. I mean, that's, that's a leap in the right direction. And it, and it helps resolve old issues. And I guess it takes having those issues to understand why he had issues. I've seen the difference. Um, he used to be as completely antisocial as anybody could be. Didn't want people in his home. Didn't want to be around new people. And it, it's just a totally, it's a 360. 
compared to what I grew up with. Well, that's uh, that's great insight, and thank you uh, for uh, Dusty, the Marine veteran, who shared his uh, experience. And this fourth and final tape is also from the VA's Make a Connection program. We hear from a retired Army Master Sergeant. After her convoy hit a landmine in Iraq, she constantly felt like she was in attack mode. Her job in Iraq was very stressful. She also had to deal with sexual harassment from a superior. When she returned home, she withdrew from other people, even her own daughter. And then she started counseling and found support to heal and get back to living a fulfilled life. So, Doug, if you'll please roll the fourth tape. My name is Sherry. I served in the Army from 1985 to the, until 2009. I was advanced party, so when we first got to Iraq, the warrant officer and I, we were in a convoy. And just as we were entering the FOB, a landmine went off. And so... I got out the vehicle at the time. I didn't know. I didn't realize that I was dazed and I fell full front on the um, ground. You don't know if you're going to be okay from one minute to the next because you don't know when the fob is going to be attacked. So you're kind of always in attack mode. You know, I was in charge of a group of soldiers there. So I also had the stress of making sure that my decisions did not put their lives in danger. I was a senior um, non-commissioned officer, and I worked um, for a Sergeant Major. And um, every day, he'd say something to me, corner me, just um, inappropriate behavior. And I really didn't say anything because... When you complain as a woman in the service, people think that you're a troublemaker. You start to become, you, you get labels. And, you know, I didn't realize then that because of what happened would lead to trigger other things that happened to me once I got home. I got back and um, found myself staying in my bedroom, all dark, TV screen on, curtains closed. Um, I would interact with my daughter, but I knew something was wrong. As much as I loved her, I wasn't really the same. And I couldn't really show her how much I loved her, even though in my head I knew. And so um, the days went on, the months went on, my stomach was in knots. I didn't really understand that I was suffering from PTSD. I couldn't really talk to anybody because I was a master sergeant, E8. I was still in charge, still stressful. And if you thought that something was wrong with you mentally, there was still a stigma that if you went to get help, you were probably weak. So I didn't say anything. I got back in February 2005, and it took me from February to October where I just knew I couldn't take it anymore. And I scheduled an appointment for myself, not at my local clinic, but um, at a place called Wurzburg, which was a little over an hour away. And I would go to the mental health counselor. And when I first went, I didn't really even think that I still had an illness. I thought 
I just needed somebody to talk to. The first time I went, I just broke down and um, I knew something then was really wrong. And so I went and I saw a counselor from 2005 all the way up until I got out of the military in 2009. What I got out of it was that it's okay, first of all, to know that you went to war and the war affected you. Um, I didn't have to be so poor or strong. Um, I don't think I would have lasted those years left in the military without mental health. Um, since I've been out of the service, going um, to the clinics in Germany were helpful as well. Um, now that I'm here in, in the States, a whole new world's opened up. We're going to VA. I went just for a general appointment. I found out as well as having PTSD that um, some of the sexual harassment I encountered, how much it impacted me. I didn't even realize I harbored those feelings inside for so many years. So programs that are available to vets, incredible. Military taught me how to be stronger, how to have faith in myself, to trust my instincts, to fight when I needed to. It taught me how to be a leader. And once I learned how to be a better leader, I learned how to be a better mother. I don't know if if I would even be alive if I didn't go get help for myself. So go get help. Life is far more, far um, worth living than not being here. I'm so glad I'm here. Well, thank you uh, so much uh, to uh, all the veterans that shared their their experiences. And yes, certainly the VA has a lot of very helpful resources. And uh, check them out. Uh, you know, the, the resources aren't going to help if the veteran doesn't make the effort to. Uh, to get those, uh, you know, to reach out. And there are a lot of, a lot of those resources, as we've heard. Um, okay. Rick, let's, uh, let's return to our discussion about, uh, what is a pretty significant problem affecting, um, veterans who have, uh, claims and appeals with the VA and the Board of Veteran Appeals. And that is something that one would think is a pretty basic, shouldn't even be a problem, something we take for granted, which is, that the VA is sending correspondence and that it's going to arrive in a timely manner. Let's continue our discussion. Rick? Yeah, so so here's the, the basic problem, in my opinion, and that is that it should be something that should be so uh, fundamental, but it's not, and that's communication. Uh, on, on our end, as a representative for veterans, it is, imper- it is imperative that we are able to communicate with, with the VA. And, um, many times it's not, a, it is not a problem. And, and I've got contacts with the VA and David, you have the same contacts. Uh, and you can reach out, uh, by email and they'll call you back and stuff like that. But the problem, uh, results, uh, when, um, you can't communicate. And then when, when the mail system, something so basic, is so flawed, um, and and 
for, and as I told you before, we went on the air tonight. I had uh, opened my mail tonight, and I had four pieces of scheduling. All four matters were with the Board of Veteran Appeals. They were the dates for the hearings have come and gone. The date, and so today is what, November the 8th, but the postage date of the letter is mid-September. So that's six weeks, six, seven weeks since the post, since the letter was dated until I got the, until I got the mail today. And, and Rick, was the that, envelope, did the envelope have a postmark on the outside no, or not? No. Yeah. No, I looked for that. See, you know, cause, cause what I'm curious is, you know, when I was talking to one of my veterans today and he said, well, he said that's typical. Look at the postal service and he, and he tries to blame it on the postal service and, makes it political and all that stuff. And I said, well, I don't know if it's the Postal Service. You know, I mean, we, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's very possible that even though this letter is dated September 18th or 20th, whatever it was dated, never left the VA until, who knows, maybe, maybe last week. Who knows? We have no way to verify, uh, when, when that, when that, uh, actually left the VA or the Board of Veteran Appeals. And, and that creates a headache for me, a headache for my clients. Uh, you know, my, I hate, you know, I don't want my clients to think that we're not doing our job. Everybody's credibility to some degree gets, gets questioned. Um, and this is something that's so basic. And my, when, when I'm talking to veterans and, and they tell me about their problems and, and they, they, you know, criticize the VA and they can't believe how, how bad they are. And then I explain to them about the, the mail system, something that should be so basic to to operating a business. Uh, if, if any business in this country or, or law practice in this country operated that way and you couldn't even, you know, send out mail properly, you'd be out of business. Um and unfortunately, you know, there's nothing we can do about it, could do about it with the VA. And tomorrow, I'm, you know, I'm going to raise it with with the judge when I get in front of, you know, before the, the the one or two hearings I have tomorrow, and just tell the judge, you know, what can we do? I mean, you know, what what can the board do? I mean, something has to be done um, because you know, trying to communicate as something just scheduling these hearings. I should be able to schedule these hearings without having to worry about, uh, you know, the, the mail system. So I, you know, I'm pulling my hair out. Creates more work for me. Creates anxiety for the for the veteran. And then we expect the VA or the Board of Veteran Veteran Appeals to tackle real issues, complicated health issues that affect our our veterans and, and their and their their compensation claims. So to me, it's just a, it's just it's a another example, it's a microcosm of all the problems that are going on at the VA. And you know, unfortunately, you know, David, you and I have been doing this together now for for over nine years. And it, in my opinion, it seems like it's getting worse. It's not getting better. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that male problem in particular is a problem that historically there have been. A variety of, of problems with the mail, for instance, um, you know, getting, getting the letters, uh, sometimes weeks late or, 
the representative's copy not being sent at all or being sent weeks after the veteran gets a copy. But what we see now is because of this contract, and I, and I received an email from the VA, uh, and, and it confirms that the VA is aware of it, and they, they're pointing the finger at some government contractor. I don't know the name of the, the contractor, but that apparently was contracted to, as you said, um, be responsible for dispatching the mail. The problem it leaves us is, is, you know, a year or two down the road, when the VA will have forgotten about this problem, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be appeals, they're going to be decisions on claims, and they're going to say, well, we sent this letter out on such and such a date, and they'll show in their computer that they sent it, for instance, September 1st, and they won't um, acknowledge or really even realize that the veteran didn't get the letter until November 8th, for instance. You know, there was it was a two-month delay. What I've been doing uh, recently, when I get something very late, I will um, <clears throat> both fax to the VA and also upload to their uh, online portal a letter that will go into the veteran's claims file that says basically, by the way, VA, this September 1st letter, that was this letter dated September 1st, 2021, we just got it November 8th, 2021, just for the record. So it's in the record, putting them on notice. They still might dispute it because they'll say that the, the, the VA always falls back on this. You know, their business records show that it was, you know, the letter was dated this day and they assume it was dispatched. Well, they, they know it's not true, but that's what they're going to fall back on. So again, I think, um, one way to deal with that is, is to, and, and, and unfortunately it wastes time. It, it uses up resources that should have been, could be spent on other things, but send them a letter and, and upload it. Uh, excuse me. I had a, one of my recent uh, cases. The veteran, uh, multiple appeals at different stages, but one of the appeals was successful and, uh, the VA, uh, paid the veteran, um, a retroactive lump sum. The veteran received it because the VA's finance system was far more assist, effective or efficient than the VA mail system. So the veteran actually got the money deposited into its account um, weeks ago, and we still haven't, and the veteran hasn't received the paper decision yet, you know, and and uh, and that's not for lack of trying. He's called the VA. I've sent emails, faxes, uploaded letters into their online portal, and uh, got some response, but we don't have the paper decision yet. In another case... Um, you know, I, I sent a number of letters over a period of months trying to get uh, status from the VA. The veteran spent literally three hours recently after being told uh, that um, a, a decision had been rendered. And I, again, decision rendered weeks ago and still not received a copy in the mail. But the, the veteran spent three hours on the phone and... Uh, was able to, um, you know, the, the VA eventually emailed him a copy of the decision, which again, they're required to send it by regular mail, which we haven't received. But it's just another example of how fouled up, um, this, this, this system is because of this contractor. And the system, the problem really has gotten much worse apparently since about July of this year. Um, I think it goes back earlier than that, but, but this major problem. That um, and I've seen some emails too, Rick, talking from the VA, from the BVA, the Board of Veterans Appeals, about what you're talking about. Is they acknowledge that these 
uh, hearing letters where they'll send out to veterans a letter saying your hearing is on such and such a date. The letters aren't arriving until after the hearing dates. That's how late the letters are. And the letters normally would would usually be arriving at least a month before the hearing date. Now they're arriving after the hearing, uh, and they recognize that. But I think it's still important just to uh, continue to document so that in any, you know, in a particular veteran's case, the record shows at least that the veteran was objecting to it and putting them on notice. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a needless problem. Again, something that people would take for for granted that the system should be. Uh, working and it's really unfortunate because in my opinion in the last um couple years the board of veteran appeals has been doing great work you know under under leadership of uh, uh the chairwoman Cheryl Mason who's the head of the board of veteran appeals they've hired a lot of judges and uh i think there's a very uh favorable uh, mindset among the board, just in general, uh, to uh, to apply the law conscientiously and to have thorough decisions, more so than ever. So, Rick, um, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, typically when I get scheduled for a board of veteran appeals hearing, I'll receive an email, and uh, that will have the date, and then I can contact uh, my client and tell my client. Uh, did you get the email? And uh, he or she may say, uh, no, I did not. So then I can forward what I received over to my client. And now my client and I are on notice and we'll be ready to go for for the uh, the hearing. And that, that works fine, you know. And then the, the letter may come later on and maybe after the hearing like I like just happened today. And that's, you know. But as far as my preparation and my being notified and my being able to notify my client, we're on board, we're ready to go, and we don't, you know, we can ignore the VAs or the Board of Veteran Appeals, uh, uh, mail errors, the scheduling notice error. However, if the veteran doesn't have a representative, um, and now the, the, the coordinator from the Board of Veteran Appeals is going to um, schedule that veteran for a hearing, and the veteran doesn't use email. So now the veteran, now the, the, the coordinator can't email the notice directly to the veteran. Uh, so now the veteran has no idea that his matter is even being scheduled. The hearing comes and goes. The, the judge wonders, you know, where did, where was Mr. Smith? He didn't show. Uh, and I'm going to find out from the judge. I'm going to, you know, kind of raise this tomorrow with the judge. What does the board do? Do they reschedule that veteran? And, and does the, does the uh, judge ask the coordinator to find out why Mr. Smith did not show? Or are they going to just say, well, he didn't show, therefore the case is dropped? And then two weeks later, the veteran receives the, the scheduling notice in the mail, and it says your hearing is scheduled on such and such a date, and that date is now come and gone. So therein lies, you know, the bigger problem for the, the veteran who's not represented. And there are a lot of veterans out there who are not represented for whatever reason. They they're going it alone, or pro se, as we say. 
Um, or maybe they have a veteran service officer or a, a DAV, but maybe, you know, I'm not sure, you know, how, how well they're orchestrated into the whole process. Um, to me, therein lies a, the, the big problem that the, the VA and the Board of Veteran Appeals faces in terms of the veteran who's out there, kind of a lone wolf trying to do this on his own or her on, uh, on her own. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know how they're going to resolve it. I'm going to be very curious to see what the, the judge's remarks are going to be tomorrow because uh, hopefully the judge uh, will run into this before and, and I'll, I'll be curious to see how that judge uh, handled it and what that judge's opinion is as to the current uh, um, problem. And, uh, you know, w- once I hear ne- on our show next week, I'll be happy to report back to uh, all our veterans and, and let you know what the what the judge said. But it, but it's a big problem, and it, it should not be a problem, but it is. And uh, it, it affects the credibility of the VA because if you can't, if you can't send out a damn letter, how can we then trust you to do the job when it comes to evaluating a, a veteran for the veteran's rating uh, disability, especially when those disabilities are complicated cases? That's yeah, all I have on great. that topic. Yeah, and, and, you know, some VA letters, depending on where the case is in its process, Sometimes you have as long as a year. So if the letter shows up a month or two late, you're still okay. You still may have 10 months to respond. But in some cases, the VA will have deadlines as short as 15 or 30 days. Um, and, and they're, and they're typically the kind of letters where the case is in its development stage. The VA has said, for instance, that, uh, they've reached out to try to get some civilian medical records. Uh, the civilian facility hasn't responded, and they're telling the VA or the veteran that there's been no response. It's up to the veteran now to get the records, and they've got 15 days to do it or 30 days to do it, or they may make a decision. Usually they don't make a decision that quickly, but just the fact that they're essentially telling the veteran, we could make a decision in 15 or 30 days, and then they get that very letter six weeks later. The deadline has long passed, so the veteran gets the letter and is already alarmed by it. And so you don't know what's... um What's going to happen? Because if they have made a decision quickly, you know what they're going to say. They're going to say, we sent this letter out on September 1st. We made a decision on September 30th. The veteran never responded to the September 1st letter. And failing to acknowledge their whole system-wide mail problem uh, or that the veteran didn't get the letter until November 1st. So but that's what we're dealing with. So you really have to stay, stay on top of it. And, uh, again, my approach has been, you know, document and, uh, even when I send emails to these people, um, I'm always concerned that, that, that they're not going to put the email into the veterans record. So I will then fax and upload into to the VA portal, access.va.gov, uh, a letter or a copy of that email. So I know it will, that will also go into the, the veterans, um, claims file just, just to document the record of this ongoing problem. Okay, let's uh, shift to um, our uh, next segment of some news, some press releases uh, from the VA in our last uh, 15 minutes. Um, 
Rick, you want to take you want me to take this next one, or would you like to? No, I got this one on Thursday, November the fourth, twenty twenty one. The Department of Veteran Affairs published two notices in the Federal Register asking for the public's comments on VA's access to healthcare standards and standards for healthcare quality. The notices, which were also briefed to Congress, solicit public comment on VA's current access standards and standards for quality to ensure they include the most up-to-date and applicable applicable measures for veterans. As I said, when confirmed, VA would continue to work fully to fully implement the VA Mission Act of 2018, said VA Secretary Dennis McDonough. Reviewing standards for care and access standards is a key part of that implementation and helps ensure we are providing information that veterans and caregivers need to help them make the best informed health care decisions so they get the care they need when, when and where it is appropriate. The published federal notice, the VA Standards for Quality, and a notice of request for information regarding health care access standards both can be viewed at www.regulations.gov. That's www.regulations.gov. Information on health care access and quality is available on the VA Access to Care website, which is access to care.va.gov. That's access to care.va.gov. That website includes information divided into distinct categories, including access to care at individual facilities, quality of care comparisons for VA and non-VA care, a search tool to find VA providers for location, patient satisfaction information provided by veterans about their experience using VA healthcare, and information about overall access to care within the VA. Again, the VA's Access to Care website is accesstocare.va.gov. The VA has said it greatly values the feedback from our veterans and the public and will, and will review closely the comments it receives as it accesses the access standards and standards for quality. In addition to considering public comments, VA will be conducting a broader internal review of the standards for quality in fiscal year 2022 to ensure they are up to date in alignment with VHA and industrial changes in metrics and address priorities. Back to you, David. Thanks, Rick. And some other VA news about two weeks ago. On Wednesday, October 27, 2021, the Department of Veteran Affairs announced it has extended the presumptive period to December 31, 2026, basically an extension of five years, for qualifying chronic disabilities rated 10% or more, resulting from undiagnosed illnesses in Persian Gulf War veterans. And this is done to ensure benefits established by Congress are fairly administered. If this five-year extension of the current presumptive period had not been implemented, service members whose conditions arise after December 31, 2021, would be substantially disadvantaged compared to veterans whose conditions manifested at an earlier date. The VA presumes that certain medically unexplained illnesses are related to Persian Gulf War service without regard to cause, and those include conditions such as chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, functional gastrointestinal disorders, among others. Also included are undiagnosed illnesses with symptoms that may include but are not limited to abnormal weight loss, cardiovascular disease, muscle and joint pain, headache, menstrual disorders, neurological and psychological problems, skin conditions, respiratory disorders, and sleep disturbances. You can see that's quite a wide range of uh, of symptoms and conditions. 
Persian Gulf War veterans who are experiencing any of those symptoms, as well as any other unexplained medical issues, are encouraged to file a disability compensation claim. Now, the VA website, va.gov, has a lot more information about it and uh, more details about the presumptive diseases I just mentioned, as well as other presumptive diseases uh, that are unique to that part of the world, the southwest area part of the world. Um, so check that out. Um, I know there's a lot of Persian Gulf War veterans uh, that they came back from the war and they experienced a lot of these symptoms. The doctors were, were and have been unable to clearly diagnose the cause of them. And that's led to this whole issue of the VA presumptive uh, rules. So, again, VA.gov for more information. Uh, Rick, over to you. The Department of Veteran Affairs announced on October 22, 2021, that it is now offering Moderna and Johnson Johnson Janssen COVID-19 vaccine booster shots under emergency care, emergency use authorization, expanding on last month's authorization of the Pfizer Bio and Tech booster. This decision follows this week's Food and Drug Administration's authorization and centers for disease control and prevention's recommendation for a booster dose using the Moderna or J&J vaccine. Booster shots are an important step forward in the fight against COVID-19, said, said VA Secretary Dennis McDonough. With the authorization of additional COVID-19 vaccine boosters, VA is helping more veterans maximize in their protection continuing our work to keep people safe and safe lives during the COVID-19 pandemic. The VA will follow CDC guidance in offering COVID-19 booster shots. For individuals who completed a Pfizer-BioNTech or Moderna COVID-19 vaccine series, the following groups are eligible for a booster shot at least six months after their second dose. 65 years and older, age 18 plus who live in long-term care settings, age 18 plus who have underlying medical conditions, age 18 plus who work or live in high-risk settings. People 18 years and older are eligible to receive COVID-19 booster shot at least two months after their initial J&J vaccine. Eligible individuals may choose which vaccine they receive as a booster dose. Some people have a preference for the vaccine type that they originally received, and others may prefer to get a booster, different booster. CDC's recommendations now allow for this type of mix-and-match dosing for booster shots. Safety and care of veteran, veterans is VA's top priority as well as ensuring the health and welfare of its workforce. Many sites in VA are open for walk-ins during hours when vaccine clinics are operational and where booster vaccines are available. Booster shots are being offered to veterans receiving care at VA and, at VA and employees. VA is also offering the booster to veterans, their spouses, caregivers, Camp VA recipients under the authority of the Save Lives Act as supply and capacity permit. The Save Lives Act, which was signed into law in March 2021, expanded the VA's authority to offer vaccine to include veterans not traditionally eligible for VHA care, and others including spouses and caregivers of veterans. CDC advises that people can get both the COVID-19 vaccine and flu vaccine at the same time. Veterans receiving care at VA who wish to get a booster shot can get both shots during together during the same visit. Veterans who like additional information can visit the VA COVID-19 vaccines webpage, va.gov forward slash health hyphen care forward slash COVID hyphen 19 hyphen vaccine, or visit their local VA 
facilities website or contact uh, directly their VA care team. Back to you, David. Thanks, Rick. That's good information on the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, in other news from the VA, back on October 1st, uh, the VA announced that it will resume um, overpayment notifications for new benefit debts and debts deferred from April 6, 2020 through September 30th, 2021 due to the COVID pandemic. As many veterans will recall, the VA suspended debt collection starting on April 6, 2020 and will restart debt collection October 1st, 2021. Um, however, the VA will not deduct debts from benefits payments until January 2022, which is rapidly approaching. Collections on medical co-payments, which affect many veterans in the VA healthcare system. So collection on medical co-payments created prior to April 6, 2020, and on new medical co-payments will also resume as of October 1st, 2021, just over a month ago. A debt notification letter sent to affected veterans and beneficiaries will include options to request debt relief for those who continue to need financial relief from the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The department will continue to provide relief options, such as extending repayment plans, waivers, and temporary hardship suspensions during these challenging times. It has been and will remain a priority of the VA to work individually with each veteran. That's their policy. Hope they will. Veterans and beneficiaries with questions or requiring assistance on debt management can access the following resources. For benefit debt information, uh, you can review frequently asked questions or submit online questions at the website va.gov. You can also call 1-800-827-0648. That's for benefit debt information. You can call 1-800-827-0648. Now for medical care and pharmacy services co-payment debt, there's a different line for that. It's uh, the Health Resource Center at the VA, and that's toll-free 1-866-400-1238. So for medical care and pharmacy services co-payment debt issues, if you're a veteran in the healthcare system and there's a question about uh, trying to recover a co-payment debt that you supposedly owe, Contact the Health Resource Center at 1-866-400-1238. Okay, Rick, uh, just got a few minutes left. If you'd uh, like to share anything else you'd like to talk about, and then before going to uh, our coaching into care reminder. Uh, well, we got this <clears throat> the uh, Cybercrime Support Network uh, news story, which uh, the VA announced on September 28th. It is partnering with Cybercrime Support Network to protect veterans who are disproportionately targeted for identifying theft and other online scams. Launching in the fall of 2021, the partnership will provide educa- educational resources that strengthen online security for service members, veterans, and their families, and focus on recognizing, reporting, and recovering from cybercrime. The educational awareness campaign includes public service announcements via Comcast broadcast services and an online portal. FightCyberCrime.org, a resource database for those impacted by cybercrime and online fraud. 
scamstopotter.org, a website to help veterans identify scams and report fraud, fraudsters. According to the Federal Trade Commission, 2019, our nation lost 44% more in damage to cyber criminal, criminals compared to non-veterans. So VA Director, Director IT Strategic Communication Office of Information and Technology, Reginald Humphreys, this nationwide partnership provides needed education resources to mobilize the veteran community to help protect themselves from the impact of these crimes. Partnership includes 33 nonprofit service organizations. Learn more about cybercrime support networks, military, and veteran program at the website fightcybercrime.org forward slash military forward slash. David, you and I have talked about this in, in the past, and that's such a huge, huge issue these days. Um, and it's good to see that, the, you know, DA's doing something about it. But, boy, I tell you, it's uh, something that everyone needs to be aware of. Um Across the board, whether you're a veteran, not a veteran, you know, you really got to be aware of this uh, whole uh, cyber crime that's going on. It's, it's, it's really frightening. I know, you know, you, David, you've had some experiences yourself in getting phone calls. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and, and a day doesn't go by that I don't get uh, scam emails, you know, that I ignore. But I wonder how many people, you know, may fall for them. And, you, you know, you make the mistake of clicking on a link and you will have then downloaded uh, malware, viruses, other things to your computer, um, or people fall for the for the trap where they click on a link, thinking it's their bank asking for private information, and it's not. It's some it's uh, identity thieves, and they reveal information, passwords, etc., thinking it's they're dealing with their bank, and now they've just released information that's used. You know, for people to steal from their accounts, whatever. It's, it is a, a very serious problem. It costs, costs people millions of dollars a year. Well, we're about out of time, Rick, so if you want to go quickly to our Coaching into Care. Coaching into Care. We love to talk about this program. It helps veterans having difficulty transitioning to home life. Returning home can be a tough adjustment, and loved ones can help. Coaching into Care offers, offers free coaching to help you help your veteran. Give the program a call at one 823 it operates Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, the VA's coaching the care number is 1-888-823-7458. In addition, I'd like to once again remind listeners that if you know a veteran who is suicidal or in a crisis of any kind, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs has the Veterans Crisis Line to help. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not help get the help they needed. Help them get the care they need to cope with their problems. Once again, the Veterans Crisis Line can help. That number is 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Over to you, David. Well, it's time for us to go. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. I'd like to thank our producer at BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. Hope you'll tune in next week, same time, same station. Until then, stay safe and stay healthy, and we hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.